James Fallon is a neuroscientist and a professor of psychiatry and human behavior at UC Irvine. This is James Fallon. I'm Duncan Gammy. You're listening to Dunk Tech. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm here once again with James Fallon. Uh, James, thank you for joining me. I'm in Irvine and you're somewhere else. I am, yes. I'm an athlete. Right. <laughs> um, yes. Here And here, as I guess worldwide at this point, we now have, um, well, since the last time we talked, we have a couple new COVID variants uh, in the works. Omicron is the latest. Um, and we had talked, uh, I guess, over a year ago now with um, you and your friend, Dr. James Lineback, um, about COVID and the way it's being handled, the media, et cetera. Um, there's a vaccine now, there's boosters. As a scientist, um, are you surprised that this pandemic is still going on? No, I mean, it's generally the, the way that viruses go is <clears throat> when they first emerge, that is they evolve into or mutate into a really different form, they go through this highly... Um, uh, toxic first step, you know, the, usually that's when you get the most deaths. And then as these viruses continue to mutate, and they always do, uh, you know, how many times do you have to get a flu shot? Well, every year, I mean, there's a new form. And so it's, that's very common. And usually what happens is each successive generation uh, becomes more communicative, communicable, uh, but less, less pernicious. The mortality is less. So Omicron is kind of a, a sissy, a version. Uh, and so it's something where, you know, I don't know why healthy young people would even care about it, you know, because it's kind of like a cold or flu. I mean, there's always somebody who's going to be knocked out uh, and even killed by, by a common cold, right, and, or flu. Uh, but, you know, unless you're somebody like me, an old fat asthmatic guy. I mean, I, I don't know why you would care, you know, um, that's, you know, or why kids would care, you know, it's like, uh, so I don't, you know, this is going to keep going on, right? And they, and usually they just become uh, just sort of tamed down, but, but very communicable. So anyway, this is a normal sort of course for, for these viruses, especially coronaviruses, which have been around for what, 60 years that you know, in their present general form. Mm. And, and do you see then a sort of path back to quote unquote normal? Well, it, it depends on what it's used for. It's a very useful tool to control behavior. Right. You know, what's going on in New Zealand and Australia is just a, a fully fascist state of, of lockdowns and in, in locking people away. And, you know, it's unbelievable. And we, you know, I actually did a, a about six, seven months ago, a podcast with somebody in Australia. And I talked about, you know, what we talked about the politics of it. it's clearly, clearly being used by some groups, some governments, some municipalities to control people's lives and keep them scared. I mean, this is old stuff, right? Just keep them scared. You know, when the climate, when the, when the cli dire climate change uh, is not going to kill you, then this thing will. And if this doesn't kill you, then we got another one waiting for you. I mean, it's just one scare after another. So for those people who like to use this to keep people terrified, it's a very useful thing. And, and this sort of thing is never going to go away as long as people are, you know, are 
are kind of gullible and, or, or let's not just say gullible, but who completely believe everything their government tells them or, or groups tell them. And you got to wonder why. So uh, it, it just depends. There'll always be this, this, this sort of thing, this sort of scare, uh, but the, the type of scare will be different. It'll be a new kind of thing. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, in that sense, it's never going to go away. In the sense of it just being a medical issue, mm-hmm. there will always be these coronaviruses. There's, you know, there have been dozens, there are dozens of them, right? Dozen coronaviruses. And Dr. Lineback, who we had on, was an expert in coronaviruses. Um, and, and, you know, he was very critical of this as being what was going on was very unnecessary. So he's an expert and a clinician, pulmonologist, and he thought it was just to wreck the economy. That's what it looked like to him because all the, the hullabaloo was, was just seemed ridiculous to him and still does. Yeah, it, it's interesting what you mentioned about what's going on in Australia. Um, I think New York recently declared a, a state of emergency over Omicron. I mean, it's anybody... I mean, I know people who had it and they don't even know they have it or they have a cold. And it's just like, and then they find one person who dies, some old fat guy like me who dies. And they say, see, it's terrible. It's going to happen. Well, but no one's, no one's even body. died yet from, from Omicron no. is, is the thing. No, no, it's just, it's a joke. It, yeah. I say it's a joke, but it's just, a, it's a ploy. Uh, and you could come up with the standard things where it's used to divert attention from what's really going on in society. And that's, this is stuff that's been around for a couple of thousand years, starting in Greece, where you are right now. Right. And so the use of scare techniques and, you know, Plato and the Republic knew about it. I mean, that was what, 20, 20, 2300 years ago or something. So, I mean, there's, this is human behavior uh, to use scare techniques. And this is clearly being used some places with scare techniques. And, and it's just costing an enormous amount of money and, and causing a lot of stress and stress-related disorders, it's doing much more damage than anybody would try to make by telling you we're doing this because we love you and we don't want you to get hurt. Um, and, and so, you know, but that doesn't mean some people don't believe it. Uh, there are people who just don't know enough. So they're just being, they're naive, right? And they're just well-meaning and, and everything, but they're just, uh, uh, they don't they don't really know enough about it. So I, I'm not blaming them, but Certainly the people who use it as a power trip and as a manipulation is, I mean, this is a sin. And and the strange thing is, and I wanted to get your take on this because you're a scientist, is you hear people saying things like, um, you know, I I trust the science as though this is like, you know, science is like the Bible of just like things that are true as opposed to like debate. Scientists don't agree amongst themselves. First of all, it's a complete myth. Uh, Second of all, what they're talking about are the administrators of science. They're talking about, you have to listen to the science reporters of, from what the science administrators say. I mean, it's not like Fauci is not a doctor. He hasn't been a scientist forever. So he's an administrator of other administrators. So they'll take what administrators say, and he's now officially part of the, you know, an organ of, the, of, of a political party. And so he's a politician who is an administrator. This is not science. He's, what he's talking about is not science. Uh, even people who are would say w- what is science, you have to define what that means because they. I think most people think science is like some agreed upon group of facts. It's not quite that, and and it's you know it's, it's very individualized and different for different people of what the effects of things are. So once you start putting all the provisos and the caveats of how things affect you, 
if you said, well, if you're like this, and if you're like this, and you have this and this and this and this, it's very dangerous, uh, that would be a clinical data point, not necessarily science. It's a, just, these are clinical findings, right? Which is different than science. Science, you do experiments with control groups and all this stuff, and that's not being done. So what people talk about uh, when they say, we, we follow the science, they're full of it. You know, if you listen to what they're saying, they're not following science at all. They don't even know what science is, for the most part. They don't know what it's about. They know it is, is what some administrator, political administrator, uh, from some summary, some, some, some summary of what some uh, really passionate uh, science reporter gleaned out of articles in massages the way they wanted to. So it's quite nonsensical and very damaging. So as a scientist, it's offensive. Yeah, and, and I remember seeing um, such a clear example of this in the beginning of the pandemic when they were saying, uh, don't wear masks. Um, and they were saying it for a, a political reason, which was they didn't want a mask shortage amongst uh, you know, hospital workers, let's say. And um, there were people online who were posting about this. And uh, they were saying how, um, you know, uh, under some article about like, you know, whether or not you should wear a mask, uh, people were saying, you know, oh, it's the, the science is in on this. You, you know, don't don't wear a mask. This is this is terrible. You know, don't do this to your kid. And people flipped so easily. And, and oh, yeah, so I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I got vaccinated. I'm I, I you know, I, there's clearly some threat that, you know, is, is reasonable to deal with. But there's also clearly a lot of bullshit going on. And well, especially it's, for your, your, you guys, your generation and younger. For us, I mean, I've, I've had three Modernas. I've had all three vaccinations because I'm somebody who could really die from this thing. Right. Uh, my wife takes it. And, and we basically also do it because when we go, we party a lot with our children and grandchildren and all their friends. And they don't, they feel, would be guilt, feel guilty if we got it and died or got sick at one of their parties, which to, even though none of them would. So they're kind of like caring for us. So our response is like, just to sort of be, uh, to keep social harmony in the family, you know, and loved ones and friends that we've got them. Otherwise, you know, I, I normally wouldn't, wouldn't get it, you know, but so you do these things depending on your, your social situation, but also your, you know, the, the risks. And if you, you know, if you're really scared, just don't go out, but all this other stuff and all this, the thing with uh, forcing kids to get, it's unbelievable. I think it's just, it uh, clearly is a scare tactic. Now, I'm not an epidemiologist, right? And I've worked on, I, I work with viruses and I've worked on uh, the viruses in the brain. I use them. I've used them in clinical trials in humans, the viral inserts. I have a company that I'm the chief scientific officer of that uses different forms of viruses for therapies, you know, for brain hacking with genetic editing. I mean, this is what I do professionally, but I'm not, uh, see, I'm not a pulmonologist who's an epidemiologist like, Dr. Lineback, who's got a feel for the science and the medicine and the patients. See, he he's really got that whole package, but nobody you're listening to has that, has the particular combination. And certainly Fauci has been all over the place. He's ridiculous. I mean, that guy's just a little power tripper, clearly. Yeah. Like I mentioned, I know somebody who went to school with him at Holy Cross that he's just, he's got this from a small guy and he, even back in college, he was always walking around like the big shot because he was a little guy and and he's going to prove to the world that he's a big man. He's a little Napoleon co complex. And when he did not get the credit for the AIDS thing, which he didn't deserve anyway, 
So he thinks that administrators should get Nobel prizes. Uh, that he's now he's coming back in full fury with this. He's going to use this. So that, that guy is no good. He, he's a real stinker. And you know, and I'm somebody who uses the vaccines. I'm not right. all of this is independent of whether the vaccine works. So any people who are anti-vaxxers that I know, I said, Fauci can be terrible. The whole policy can be just manipulative, but that doesn't mean that vaccines don't work right. or that ivermectin does work well enough. I said, you've got to look at your own situation socially and medically and, and just make that decision. For us, we, you know, my wife and I, our family are all vaccinated. So I have no, you know, I, ha I have no uh, pre-natural sort of opposition or, or for or against, but I almost never got any vaccines because I was in good shape. Now I'm an old fart who's not in great shape. So why wouldn't I take it? So, I, I mean, I'm not, I think they work. I think they work pretty well. And all of those, you know, all of the, the reports from different small groups are minor, minor things. So I think these, they've done a, a very good job with the vaccines, you know, all of them. I think they've done an amazing job. And the science behind it goes, you know, it's 30 years old very difficult stuff and they came up with something fast so they got to be recommended so i'm not this is not an anti-vax statement right this is an anti-political manipulation of a society with just taking the opportunity to frighten the fuck out of people for their own you know just so they can say look the other way you know look at this over here now don't look at the other things that are going on so uh that's my feeling of it I, you know that's i think it's a probably a common feeling among people at least my age yeah do, do, you, do you feel, though, that part of the reason, because there is such uh, vaccine skepticism and a lot of like anti-vax, um, sometimes it feels like hysteria going around. Um, where do you think that comes from? Do you think that part of it is just the, the political messaging around that's been handled? Um, I, I, I don't know how vaccines became this terrible thing. Well, you know, among the black community, there's great distrust of vaccines because it goes back to the experiments that were done with them with syphilis. So there's a natural skepticism among, among uh, you know, African-Americans in the United States that they're being used as guinea pigs. When I was, when I worked um, in Africa, uh, when I was keyed, keyed to what was going on with the, uh, both the uh, Ebola and its the sibling Marburg virus, and I, I worked at the University of Nairobi, and I was told about certain things that were done in, that may have been due to human experimentation. And I met a neurovirologist that I ended up publishing with, who said that she worked for the CDC in, 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 the, in the 90s, and was asked to do experiments on these West African women uh, to induce um, sepsis. With, 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 you know, with the vaccine slash toxin and she wouldn't do it. And, 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 and she goes, you know, the CDC is not to be trusted. She worked a lot with the CDC. Mm -hmm. she said, so if you look at the CDC, they do not have a good history. I don't think, I mean, there's a part of it where uh, they go outside the box and are responsible for this net, this distrust, but the distrust is well-earned, right? Because they've done, they actually did these things and different, different communities uh, you know, experience these things. So they're, you know, and they're true. So, so there's that, you know, there's that background of it, of who, who, who's skeptical and who's justified to be skeptical. And then there are people who are, uh, I mean, there's a whole group of people and it kind of doesn't matter. Politics don't really matter 
as much as being kind of a, kind of a Luddite, you know, being against technology and being, you know, you, you can go up to yurts and sit, get, sit, get stoned in yurts up at Burning Man with all these kind of, all these lefties. And they'll be anti, they'll be anti-technology too, because they, you know, they're Luddites. So they hate all technology and certainly that's a technology. So you can find really hardcore Marxists and left wingers who hate this stuff too. So it's not, you know, it's, it's not a, uh, you know, a, a, a jaundiced eye that's by any particular group necessarily, but it will switch. There will be certain, certain groups that uh, will use it because they distrust, for example, there's a group of Republicans now who distrust the Biden administration for what it's worth, it, which is, I mean, just uh, stunning stuff. Uh, and they see this as a manipulation. Therefore, they're anti-vaxxers. They're really anti—they're anti, uh, you know, left-wing, left-wing fascists uh, that are in the government now, and that's why they're doing it. So, you know, different periods, at different times, different years, you're going to pick up these different groups uh, who uh, have a you know a short a short fuse. I I try to discourage them from from this. I said, you know, think of yourself and your family. You know, these vaccines work and don't, don't the other sorts of things that you hear. And I'm sent all of these. You can imagine. What about this? I'm always supposed to defend one side or the other. So, Jim, you're a scientist, you know, about viruses. You know, which would you do? So I'm driven crazy by this stuff. And a lot of it is the on both sides. If you talk about the political sides is the slick use of linguistics mm. and hoping that people don't know enough to know bullshit. And that. On both sides, that happens. It's so I, I'm driven crazy by it because people are clearly telling a lie, right? But people watching it who are emotionally triggered anyway, probably to get to those sites of you know both the left and the right, they were they're ready to believe all of that, and they have no knowledge. So they take words like it's let's say a simple thing like the coronavirus was known about. Well, they're hoping that you don't realize that there's a whole bunch of coronaviruses, you know, like a common yeah. cold. And they, you're, they're hoping that you don't, you don't realize that the article is not about COVID, SARS, right? And that's what they're hoping. So they're not going to lie, but they're going to let you lie to yourself because you don't know enough. And this happens on both the left and right. It's the past couple of years. It's been the worst I've ever seen it. And you know, I, my first sort of uh, thing I taught about it when I when I my first teaching gig was at an all girls Catholic school in New York. Uh, and that was back in 1970. And, and, I, and this was an all-girls Catholic school, and I taught biology, chemistry, the earth sciences, you know, ecology. And at the end of the year, I took all of the best students down to New York City, right? And, and, and brought them to a place that was VIP to the way science is being manipulated by politics. And that's, that was the lesson, they, they, they freaked out. It's like I said, I taught you all the things I know about science, biology. Now here is how politics is gonna be used to manipulate the society and lie to people without really lying to them, but just counting on their ignorance of real science. So, you know, I've been sort of into this from 1970 on the misuse of, of scientific information uh, by the media, by by governments. I, I, I've been into this for oh, uh, 52 years. So I'm, I'm kind of long in the tooth in this. Doesn't mean I'm right, but I think I'm kind of right. You know, I'm experienced, let's put it that way. 
Well, you mentioned your work that you've done with viruses. Um, and of course, one of the, the big questions about COVID is where did it come from? And there's this idea that, hey, um, you know, there were these, uh, you know, NIH grants to study gain of function research. And you have this Wuhan Institute of Virology. And um, w what is your working hypothesis there? The working hypothesis is that this could have definitely arisen naturally in a population of those bats and then had mutated and was caught in there. I think that's a completely a legitimate story. Whether it could be, now there's several articles that's showing that the, um, the sequence, the sequence of that, that particular uh, COVID SARS-2, that, that that sequence does not look like it was manufactured and inserted, right? It's hard to prove the opposite, but it looks like, I mean, there's a couple of papers saying, no, it looks like it arose naturally. So um, until, there's, so there's not enough information to give you an answer. Right. I don't know, you know, so it, it, it's, but it could have arisen naturally. Uh, certainly the types of enhanced function is a, is a regular thing that's done, but, you know, at the Fauci was trying to cover up, clearly he was trying to click cover up the role in possibly being, you know, part of this, uh, even though it may have not been exactly what people are claiming. He's still, you know, you, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to deny things, right? That's Nixon taught us that, right. you know, <laughs> you can do something that's nothing. And then if you deny it, that's the sin. Uh, same with Clinton. So anyway, um, so I don't know, you know, that, that, there's not enough information on that those sequences. We we create sequences to insert under the control of other sequences, promoter sequences of genes, and then we slip in adenoviruses, AAB viruses, as part of the package of the cargo to send into cells. And and so there's all sorts of engineering you can do, and you can do it either with the you know on the you know, using a, uh, like a CRISPR type te technology combined with other inserts and promoters and reporter genes. And so there, is, there are ways of manipulating them, but it doesn't look like, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to answer a question we haven't asked yet, you know, about whether these are genetic uh, 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 vaccines or just genomic. You know, genomics more general. These are more genomic. They involve more messenger RNA. And the chances of that getting loose and mutating into something else are, boy, it's pretty uh, remote, I think, right right now from what we know about those sequences. But, you know, there's a lot of people working on this and they're all, I think, honest. And once they get in the hands of science reporters who are passionate about some political thing, you don't know where it's going to go. I mean, it gets all messed up. These, these science reporters have become awful, really awful in the past few years. And uh, because they think passion is part of it. You heard, you heard people at the MSNBC, CNN, uh, WAPO, New York Times, admitting that they use, they, they use the news for political purposes. They think it's okay. I mean, this is like a complete violation. And the same thing with the science reporters. And I certainly have worked with a bunch of them. And they always tell, you know, when the ones who tell me, you know, I'm very passionate about it, that is a red flag. That means they got a plan and, and an agenda. It means don't read their stuff. But uh, so that's, you know, this is a question you didn't ask, but to go back to the other question, 
I still have not seen have not seen enough papers that would prove that the uh, the altered uh, you know any of the hinge or the you know the spike or the hinge protein in sequences uh, could have been. I see. Um, I, I'm curious. You you mentioned uh, CRISPR in there, and that's a, a topic I wanted to ask you about. The whole um, how, how clued into the the biohacker community are you? What do you mean by biohacker? Um, sure. So, you like mean brain hacker. You mean brain hacker, right? That, that's definitely yes. I, I guess that's a, a broad umbrella. Um, but, biohacking generally is not so controversial. You know, every time you get a a split for a broken arm, that's biohacking. I mean, just so many. There's, yeah. there's so many things that are just nothing. You know, uh, I think people most aren't they most sensitive about brain hacking. Yeah, yeah, brain hacking, gene editing, um, and uh, there's like do-it-yourself CRISPR kits that uh, some guy, uh, Josiah Zayner, is selling online um, with backing by Peter Thiel. Um, but but more, more that vein, sure, than, um, and the brain hacking yeah, because stuff. I, you know, brain hacking or biohacking is just any technology that can be used to change a function or monitor a function, right? If it's the liver, okay, but in this case, let's say the more interestingly, dangerously, the brain. Um, See, generally with biohacking, it's it's sort of it's it's this created by engineers and engineers and computer engineers always think like engineers. They don't think like biologists. I mean, the biology is a mess, complete mess, and they they think in terms of actual uh, computer chips. They 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 think in terms of wires and diodes and shit. No. And the brain's just not that. It doesn't act that way. But worse, nobody knows what the code is. Of oh, the interesting things, we know that there's input that comes visual input that comes you know light rays into your retina and that's transduced and that's sent to the thalamus and the subthalamus and also to the cortex and then it's topographically laid out like a map your old visual world world same thing with the auditory system it's mapped out all these frequencies and everything and then somatosensory your whole body is mapped out your motor system so all the sensory the simple sensory inputs and outputs the code is known but that's not where the interesting things are. They have to do with behavior, real behavior and emotion. Nobody knows what that is because it, it, it occurs in the sea of, of millions of connections per connectome, more than that, 100 million per connectome that subserve a function and how all those functions are then interacted to produce a behavior are completely unknown. And so what you know, it's like we're going to go in and we're going to understand your emotions and what you're thinking and then we're going to change nobody knows how to do that we're so far from that and it's you know this is related to the hard question of consciousness is you know to go from spikes action potentials and, and putting them and doing an elon musk thing and then taking those spike trains sounds like a jazz musician <laughs> and take the spike trains and then you know, you, you take those in and then you output them. Well, nobody knows how those relate to actual experience, actual emotions. Completely unknown. Don't hold your breath for this. And so the simple things are known. And a lot of that was it came out of people who do sensory motor sort of neuroscience. Mm 
Yeah. And that's much, much simpler. My God. And that's where, you know, EEG and fMRI, all of these stuff, they're all on top of the head. They're all cortical. They're all these non-emotional sorts of parts of the brain. And they try to extrapolate from there. Nobody's been able to do this. And I, nobody's that I know is close at all. Now, I mean, if somebody's going to go through the problem of uh, taking your EEG data that's coming across from your skull cap into your phone and then trying to decode it into what you're thinking and feeling in it, uh, they'd be better off just taking you out for, for, for a coffee or a beer and asking what you like from their product. I mean, yeah. it's so over the top, ridiculous, you know, effort. But not only that, everybody is different in terms of what these signals mean. And so, I mean, I've spent my whole life brain hacking, right? Of, you know, what is that person thinking and feeling? What are you using all these tools? So you can use fMRI, EEG, PET scans, uh, and using genetics, and then doing all the psychiatry and putting these together in a statistical model. This is what I've been doing for my whole life. My group, you know, our group's been doing. And so we brain hack all the time, but we don't for a second really uh, make believe we know we can take this data, right? These biological data and the bioelectric data and, and, and diagnose somebody with what's about what it is. You know, so when we look at this different disorders, depression, psychopathy, uh, Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, you have to interview these people to know. And now here's where the real hacking comes in is like a highly trained psychiatrist or psychologist interviewing a person. So how do you feel about these thoughts and feelings? This is where you get the real information. Mm -hmm. The other stuff kind of just explains biologically why you have something. But this idea that we're gonna go in and capture your soul and enough information about you is nonsense because everybody's different. And you would have to have the normative data on each person. Um, and there is about the number of types, different human beings there are is, is 10 to the 81st power. 10 to the 80, you know, you take 10 with 80 zeros behind it. And that's all the combinations. This is virtually infinite. And so when you look at every, anybody, they're, they're, they're completely unique. Nobody else is like them. And so any machine you, you get to kind of decode them and to hack them, you better have 10 to the 81st of these machines for everybody on earth because everybody's different. And so the genes mean different things. The combination means different things in different people. Uh, Brain waves, just take these EEG uh, uh, sort of home devices, the EEG, machi EEG machines, let alone PET scans or, you know, fMRIs. And, you know, take, take those. Well, nobody really knows those, those signals, you know, the coherence of the alpha, alpha wave and, you know, these different mu waves and all these. What are they? Well, they mean different things in each person. So you would have to have the normative data and then when they're buying your product or when you're trying to, you know, con them into something. It's just, mm. it's a ridiculously, a complex, absurd sort of dream. It's very narcissistic to think you can do this for anybody to think now they can do this or even in 10, 20, 30 years, I think. And so uh, what you can get is very simple things, right? But you can't, for example, you say, I know you're lying to me. Yeah. I know you're lying because your fMRI and your EEG is, no, if you're a psychopath, it wouldn't, the people who really might be lying to you, so they show no, no blips at all. There's no tells. There's no biological tells. You're better off 
hiring a yenta to come in and say, what is this person? What are the tells? What do they really think and feel? You're better off with a, with a, with a, with a, uh, somebody, you know, with a witch up the street. Uh, then there's, so the biohacking is the stuff where you go to Burning Man and you sit in a yurt with these very wealthy people from Silicon Valley and they make believe with all these stories, we're going to do these things. It's all very exciting. And, and I, I don't know of anybody who, the, who really that was about 13 years ago i came up with a whole design for a brain hack where you take chips right and you have connector chips and you you draw in stem cells that will turn into neurons that will then learn in that part of the brain it's a pretty good idea right and i think i had the one of the first ones of those and um it was actually, actually tracked down at a Google camp meeting in Sicily, a Google meeting by uh, Andrea Bocelli and his wife, you know, the singer, blind. And he, he said, I read about your thing in CAC. I want to I, I wanna do, you know, can, can, you, can you bring my sight back? And the whole thing was bringing sight back and somebody blinded. So this was, so I've been in the, involved in the design of that. One of the people at that meeting took it and actually has a to try it and, and really well so i submarine warfare from darpa there's all different people interested in this stuff right you know they the Pentagon's interested, and of course, DARPA's interested, and people, and wicked people around the world are, I want to see it happen. I want to see somebody come up with useful data that you couldn't get much cheaper, much easier elsewhere by just coming in with somebody who's pretty smart and reading the tells on somebody, you know, how their mouth is twitching when they talk and how they use their hands, how high, how many verbs and adverbs and, and personal pronouns they use in their speech, all this stuff, which is much better at, at hacking. So this is kind of a fun yurt uh, sort of stoner thing. Uh, and I've been to those, right? And <laughs> so I hang with these people. And, and, um, and so it's at a very, 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 very early uh, stage. And until fi somebody finds out the simplest code for how we actually, uh, you and I know we're sitting here talking to each other. We have a conscious, uh, you know, we're talking to each other in different levels, right? And we know that and, and how that happens, what the code for that is, nobody knows. And this is what they're trying to say that they have, uh, you know. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. A uh, couple questions there. Um, you mentioned the, the 10 to the 81st number yeah. um for varieties of human beings well, where is that derived from well i sat down for about a month and went through all the different genes coding genes uh in, in humans right Twenty-two thousand coding genes then i took all of the promoters insulators inhibitors all the regulators of those genes uh and then did a permutation analysis you know multiply them together and then took all the possible epigenetic changes that would occur in the you know in, in people uh in the course of their early and middle life so all the the epigenetic changes and then put it through 
onto how many, you know, how many neurons there are and how many connections there are in the, in the brain and, and they're variable in different people and took that and came up with, I wasn't trying to find that number. It just came up to 10 to the 80th power. Uh, but what made it interesting to me when after another week of thinking about it, I had seen that number before and it turns out that 10 to the 81st is the number of atoms in the universe. So I like the whole we are stardust angle to it. Mm -hmm. I've given this talk numerous times uh, the past 10 years, but on what it means, what we are is individuals and what self means and what we, uh, it, you know, who are you really and what makes you up? And, and so um, I had to derive that number and then go through it with different uh, colleagues who are physiologists and geneticists to, um, to, you know, to see if this was a plausible number. So everybody is, there's no two people alike, not even twins are not alike, really, they're, they'd be very different. So, um, so that's where it came from. And um, the other follow-up I wanted to ask there was, so like one of the claims, um, like the, one of the more grandiose claims that Neuralink is making is that eventually you'll be able to use these things to just send thoughts from one person to another. Would uh, a feature like that fall under um, the umbrella of things that you were talking about that we're, we're nowhere even close to? Yeah, it goes that we're, that we're not close to that I know of. I mean, I have colleagues I talk to once every two weeks uh, we're on, uh, on calls together specifically on this. And, and so if you look at, you know, there are a couple of ways of looking at this. One is the idea that, uh, that the most important thing is just information, pure information. And pure information is what dominates everything above space-time above matter energy is pure information. So is there such a thing as pure information? And can you capture pure information? And, you know, that is one idea that uh, is, is studied with respect now to people who are looking at quantum biology, who are interested in this and who do, you know, consciousness, stu consciousness studies that, and it's really an old, Abrahamic sort of idea. That is, you know, for most scientists, we, we, we would say, well, matter, that is brain, creates ideas. And, and uh, they say, no, ideas create the brain, you see. It's, 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 the, uh, it's, it's consciousness that's pervasive and consciousness creates matter and energy and everything. And therefore, consciousness is just pure information. So if we could capture that, we could, you know, we could then intercept and understand what everybody's thinking and how to, that would be hackable. So that comes from this idea of, of quantum consciousness, of quantum biology, but also the idea of, you know, analyzing Shannon entropy. If you look at uh, information theory, that uh, what we're talking about is pure information. So if we can capture pure information, the abstractness of it, it becomes the most real thing. we can hack people that part uh, that you know, those are two different parts but they kind of often people talk about them together and so uh so you know uh with Neuralink, they're kind of looking for the unicorn of this right the unicorn of all these ideas so they have think tanks 
and they all they come up with these ideas and they all come from places like this the singularity uh university and a lot of stuff in the bay area but around the world too and and so it's like anything goes so it's fun right this stuff is fun to think about talk about so i think it's just a fun thing i'm involved in those conversations and they're fun but when you uh what they a, a lot of them are come from old ideas which is the old abrahamic idea whether you're or even shamanistic idea that there's pure energy and pure consciousness. And out of that comes the world, right? God created the universe. This pure consciousness, pure information created matter and energy. So there's nothing new about this. This is the oldest idea. And so it still has romance. So a lot of times you find people who are atheists really liking this because uh, they didn't get rid of religion in their life. They just got rid of God in their life. And so Mm. now they're using this as, create this be, has become the religion, their God, you see. So he's looking for God in the brain. Okay. So w- what about gene editing? Um, and in particular, seeing these sort of uh, do-it-yourself CRISPR kits uh, that are being sold online. Uh, I, I've seen things where people, uh, you know, gave themselves an injection and gave themselves like night vision uh, temporarily. Um, I mean, cr- crazy stuff where, um, and the people who are involved in this kind of, kind of activity feel as though, um, you know, the sort of the movement they're part of is, is very similar to like the early PC movement where you have this hacker culture, um, but no one's really it's come around. Engineers. They yeah. think like engineers. Yes, they exactly. Like biologists. Yeah. yeah. And so it's the same group. Of the, of the same drive and the same kind of people that we can engineer this. If I can have the idea, it can get done. And it's a matter, just a matter of engineering. And so I, you know, I work with right now with two companies, uh, the scientific advisor of, and, and it's, it's filled with engineers. And that's, that's how they think. They think, well, with just a thought experiment, if we can think about it, we can engineer it. And I got to keep reminding them of the, uh, if you say complexity, it doesn't quite gather the, the true feel of how difficult it is to uncode this stuff really with what the brain and consciousness is doing is a lot of people thinking about this nobody's got an answer and so but they as hackers say look we can do it we can do it because we're engineers and we're kind of we come out of that culture of the electronics of the silicon valley so we can do this well then go ahead and knock yourself out it's fun i mean it's not why not i'm not against it i just you know i'm uh, show me, show me something. And so I'm open to it, but it's, you know, of course there's a lot of naivety to the whole thing, a tremendous amount of naivety. Now, if you try to do this, since we do this, we actually create uh, probes and cargo uh, for hacking, uh, brain, you know, brain circuits with, um, with CRISPR and with other gene editing tools and other physiological tools, combination tools, that's what one company that I'm working with is doing. And, um, and we've had, you know, we've had successful results of changing behavior. Now, of course, these are preclinical. Nobody's really changing the brain yet with any human with this stuff. And, uh, but it can be used for other organs because it's less dangerous, but, you know, we're going at it uh, in order to alter the brain for specific disorders and conditions having to do with anxiety, depression, et cetera. So that's our, you know, 
the, the medical point of it is to affect circuits. So, you know, and we have positive results in animals. I mean, really amazing, at least uh, good, good results. And so I'm not saying that can't be done. So can you use CRISPR and other brain hacking tools to change depression in somebody or functions? I think you can. Uh, but what they're talking about is, uh, I think, a bit different because they, they want the big consciousness thing that they're going for. That's what I'm doubting. I don't doubt at all. You can, you can, you can biohack, brain hack the brain with CRISPR and other things. I mean, I'm doing, doing it now. Oh, yeah, but uh, that has a lot of, you know, the, you know, potential risks, some, some psychological risks. You just say, we're going to go in and change your, your, not your genetics, but your genomics, you know, your messenger RNA, uh, and we're going to knock down certain transmitter systems so that you're not so wired uh, on what you were inherited. You were born with an overactive serotonin type system. And now we're just trying to turn it down. And so you can, you know, knock these things down. I don't know how much knocking things up is going to work. Now that's a bit more dangerous, but knocking them down, just like tuning it down, taking the gas off the pedal a bit. I think this could be very useful. And I, so that part of it, I think, uh, is, is in the immediate future. Yeah. I see. So I'm, I'm, con I'm contradicting, it seems I'm contradicting what I said, you know, with all the, but I'm not, I'm not talking about adjusting traits of people you know, who have certain disorders, uh, but I'm talking about this thing about um, taking the, the, which is the different issue of taking this, all this information coming out you know, from an EEG or you know, for MF, MRI or genetics, and then hacking that to fully understand somebody and then transferring that information into somebody else. That's what they're talking about. That's the, the complex, the difficulty in that is, Ridiculous, ridiculous. So I, I, I don't want to give the I don't want to give the sense that I'm against brain hacking because we do it all the time. I've spent my life doing it, and now we're doing it directly with genetics. So yeah. Well, so what is like the advantage? What is the new thing that CRISPR allows people to do? I've heard some people say that um, some of the tools that CRISPR has uh, have actually been in use for. Like at least a decade, but it just makes things more scalable. Is that right in yeah, any yeah. way? Well, each part, you know, this uh, portions of this, you know, have been have been put together with with you know over thirty years, 25, 30 years, and so it's you know different parts of it. It's it's, it's it was the assembling of all of these, the engineering of all these different components that made the CRISPR possible. So it's really, you know, it's one of those techniques, uh, very powerful techniques that took 30 years to put together, 20 to 30 years to put together. And, you know, if there's a hundred Nobel prizes in there, maybe, you know, they don't do it that way, but, uh, and so, so all these, there are different, yeah, compa components, how to package it and all that. When you're trying to design um, a probe and a, and a cargo to put into the brain, how do you get it in there? People don't want to have needles put in their brain. Yeah, I mean, we've done that. I mean, I published a paper in Science where we did that with Alzheimer's patients, and put in a, a virus with a growth factor in you know in different in human patients. We did that, published that in Nature some years ago. So you can do that, but people don't want to do that, right? This, this is a bad way to hack yourself. <laughs> it's yeah. going, and if it involves a, a needle, 
So the hard thing is, well, how do you get it in there? Because a lot of things don't pass the blood-brain barrier, and and they and they don't go where you want them to go. They, you know, and they'll go off target, and they may go up and induce tumors, right? Anything with that kind of power can be powerful in a bad way. Uh, so how do you get it in there? How do you get it targeted to the exact circuitry you want? These are all mammoth problems, and and you can do it. I mean, we're doing it now, but it takes a lot of thinking and a lot of different experiments. And uh, so that can be done. So I don't know how you do that in your garage. I guess you could do it in your garage if you just happen, you got a little lucky with, with this, but how would you prove it? You have to have machines to do it, right? You have to have, you have to test it with, um, with, with different imaging techniques. What are you going to have in your, I guess in your garage, you could have an, an MRI machine machine, you could have a fluoroscope, you could have an entire, you know, a DNA analyzer, you could have, you know, you could have a, a, a nice $2 million lab in your garage. It can fit, you know, the, uh, the Illumina tabletop uh, gene uh, analyzer is this big now. Yeah, you better bring some bag of money with you. And so saying it's can be in your garage, if you're a really wealthy person with a big enough garage and you got a lot of money, have a couple million dollars, you can do it. Uh, so, but you still, you know, how do you test it? Well, you have to have animal labs to do it. On yourself as the subject. Well, you know, any good CEO, this is the test of them. You know, and I've worked with CEOs done this. They, it's like the old time doctors and pharmacists. They have all these different drugs. They don't know what they're going to do. Like Hoffman with LSD said, hell, I'll take it. Boom. <laughs> yeah. And so there are people who do that. You know, it's, it's happened in the past where a single person who says, I've, I've found this thing and I'm going to take it now and let's hold on, you know, the uh, and, and see what it does. So it's possible to do that. Uh, it's, it's like a million times more dangerous than taking the vaccine. And, uh, but if you are brave, you could do it. And it's possible if you have enough money and uh, you'd have to be extraordinarily lucky to, to really hit it in your, in your garage with just you. But a big garage, a lot of money, I think you could do it. Yeah. Uh, but could you do what? Well, you could, you could create these probes and create these cassettes of viruses with the Cas9 or Cas13 or Cas-D or these different uh, CRISPR enzymes together with the oligonucleotides, which you'd have to make or buy. So you'd have to buy from somebody else's garage. You have to make oligonucleotides or different you know, pieces of uh, RNA or DNA too. And, and by putting them all together in, into a plasmid, you could uh, potentially get lucky. And, but you, you, you can see the, the cost here is expertise is, is quite extraordinary. Um, and so for us to do it, besides our own labs, we have to send it these different components to four different labs around the world to do it. Mm -hmm. You have to send it to their little garages and, and uh, for a lot of money. And because you have to do all this, this testing, well, you know, nobody believes it and it didn't really work, but it's, you can, you can create CRISPR pretty relatively easy compared to other things. That part's true, but we're talking about a whole 
system to deliver it to the right part of the brain uh, safely without having any off-target effects and blah, blah, blah. So in, in hitting the right circuits, the right transmitter systems and all that, well, it's a trick. What about this notion, and this has been introduced in the world of mathematics recently, that, um, and I forget the mathematician's name, but um, he published an article recently that I thought was very interesting. We're talking about how uh, the future of at least uh, math inquiry is probably going to be led more by machines than human beings, um, that a lot of proof-making tools in the future uh, could potentially be driven by artificial intelligence. Obviously, there are famous examples of like the, the four-color uh, theorem that was proven uh, by a computer. Um, there are, it seems to be like in the case of um, you know, genetics that there's huge data sets. Um, we have all these big data tools. We have these increasingly advancing um, you know, uh, neural nets. Uh, do you think that perhaps the, the engineer hacker ethos there could uh, prove fruitful? Yeah, when, if, if, there's, if there's geometry and mathematics involved, it works, it really works. That is this, this type of hacking because you're, you're talking about, um, uh, for example, I, I, I'll give you personal examples just so, you know, I've kind of been there, that's sure. what I'm right, but I have some experience of where we worked on an AI device to do machine learning to be able to take just scans of, you know, pieces of light and dark, people's brain scans and the shape. And I taught the computer how to uh, decipher the angles, the opening of angles, like the brain gyruses and sulci. And I, and by knowing, looking at a lot of Alzheimer's and MCI, you know, the mild cognitive uh, impairment of people, early, middle, and late Alzheimer's and different kinds of dementias, by looking at those brain changes, was then able to work with this guy who was a, a computer engineer, very hip in statistics, math, and and, and geometries. And together, uh, we taught the computer how to automatically analyze it. So we didn't need any humans. You don't need any radiologists or neurologists to say this person uh, has uh, an early Alzheimer's type brain or early dementia. I taught it you know, to the point where, and then he tweaked it, you know? So it was like 97%, 93% accurate. I got it to like, you know, 88% or something like that. And he took that further. So we were able to show that, you know, clinically how to do that. And that was through AI and through the, and through taking uh, different kind of volumetric shapes. And these are complex shapes. These are not squares. These are, you know, Mobius strip type of pieces of brain that are all different. And, and to bring those back and, and, and reshape them into standard shapes and then analyze them and using um, different mathematical tools. So the answer, yes. Yeah. I mean, there's where it's very, that's, that's, that's very different. I think that's where it's very useful that the AI and using, you know, in terms of mathematics and geometry, my God, yeah, that's where it's ripe. Okay. And, and but are there areas where this is just not going to um, be a good idea or, or be, you know, well, I don't know a good idea because you don't know 
it's one thing to say here are the phenotypes or here's what you see in a brain, let's say with Alzheimer's, all these different, you know, the way the shapes are changing, that there's a, uh, there is a, a pattern under the pattern and that is associated with dementia. But that's, you know, that's just a structural thing. It's not you know, like, what are my thoughts and emotions? You can guess, but you're not hacking that. You're just hacking shapes and using mathematical and, 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 and pretty advanced sort of volumetric tools to do that. So, uh, so that's different than, and now you're gonna tell me what the other thing is, where wouldn't it work? You're saying, where wouldn't it work? And I, what I mentioned, where, where you don't know what the code is. Hmm. And if you don't know what the code of emotion is, you can't train a computer, you can't create a computer to take that code because you don't even know what it is into emotion that can then be transferred and read and all that stuff. So it, the code doesn't exist. So in, the, in those cases, we're not there at all. You know, what real thinking is, what, you know, what our sense of consciousness is, the interesting things, right? Is what, how do you feel? How do you think? You know, can that be hacked? Can that be changed? And went through all these years of talking about MK Ultra, and MK Ultra, it doesn't work. Yeah. People want it to work. It's like somehow you're manipulated. It works if you're already a believer. If you're already a believer, it's like, yeah, it's like hypnosis is brain hacking, but it work, doesn't work in a lot of people at all. It's kind of, it works for people already there. It just helps them along. Uh, you know, the, the believable and the, the gullible sheep, if you will, which is a harsh way to put it. We'll call them open-minded people. Sure. Uh, so, uh, but there, you know, there's always these stories that persist like in culture where that kind of mind control didn't, doesn't work. But it persists because it's some sort of fun thing to talk about. Uh, well, this is this is taking the place of MK Ultra a bit, and so okay, I'm being harsh, aren't I? <laughs> no, no. I mean, fair, fair enough. That's why, I, hire, that's why you hire me and pay me this good money yes. to talk to you on these things because I know. <laughs> yes, um, I, I'm I'm curious in, in this. Let's say in, in a more limited, um, you know, example where we like uh, with artificial intelligence, one of, one of the things that, uh, or machine learning, let's say, one of the things that it does really well is you give it some data set, you'll label each item in the data set, you know, X, Y, or Z and train the model and then throw new data at it and say, okay, now label these things without knowing. Sure. Um, it, you know, certain things like, okay, identifying which genes are associated with which diseases. You give people a sequence of DNA and say, this person has Alzheimer's, you know, this person does not. Um, and you give them lots of examples of this. Uh, well, in fact, what you say, what you find out is not, if they have Alzheimer's, this is why they have Alzheimer's. Okay. Those techniques don't help really diagnose that you have a disorder. Uh, they What they will do is explain if you have the disorder, why you have it? Mm. It's different. Different. Uh, you know, it's a different logic there. I see. Okay. I, I, I'm more curious if this is something that could potentially speed up drug development. Uh, yes. 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 Because the, their geometry, the geometry in, in, in you know, the synthetic biology, the proteins, keys and locks receptors and these different forms and these different skeletons uh, that are used at the core part of any 
a drug. For example, you're trying to make a, a, a psilocybin synthetically. You, what is the core part of it? You know, then you can you can model those using AI and, and these the types of analyses you're talking about, and model these different shapes that would fit. Uh, and maybe you know, one of them will produce relaxation and, and eradication of fear without getting you crazy, right? So you can use those and they're useful for drug development, which you're talking about, yeah. Interesting. Um, well, we're, we're at an hour here, so I don't wanna take up too much of your time, um, but uh, I, I'm- I didn't help you at all, Duncan. No, no, this is, this just, is great. I was just a crabby <laughs> old guy. So I'm, I was a crabby old man going, no fucking way, man. Oh, I, it's uh, well appreciated. There's, there's a reason. I, I think you've been on uh, my show more than any other guest. So uh, clearly I'm, I'm, I, I enjoy your company. Um, what? And I enjoy uh, yours too. So, okay, we can stop here and let me know um, any other topics. All your topics are always well thought out and, and quite interesting. So I'm always in. Excellent. All right. Uh, Jim, thanks for talking once more. Have a great rest of your day. Duncan G, you too. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you to James Fallon and thanks for listening to Dunk Tank. I'm Duncan Gammy. See you next time.